Have you ever considered the impacts of your past to your present or ever considered just how connected your life is with others? Hello, I'm Naomi, the host of Letters from the Chosen podcast. In this podcast, I share key moments from my childhood of how I went from life in rural West Africa to life in the United States. And I hope that by sharing my story, you get to see just how intricately involved God is in the details of our lives. In each episode, I hope you will take the time to reflect about your own past and be inspired to share your own story. Please share any insights you gain and let's grow together. I look forward to you joining with me each week. Let the story begin. She can. We faced one last hurdle when I first arrived. School. What in the world were we going to do about my schooling? I came to the United States illiterate in my native language and in English. I had attended school for a few months, but I hadn't retained much of anything. So you decided not to enroll me in school right away. You weren't sure I was ready. Instead, you brought me along with you to work at the preschool. Shortly after, you took me out of the preschool and enrolled me in the public school system. I remember you told me that this was due to one of the kindergarten teachers at your school, Mrs. Kimley. Mrs. Kimley had worked with me one-on-one on some kindergarten skills. She advised you to enroll me in school and place me in first grade. She stated that keeping me at the preschool would be a disservice. Only one of the elementary schools in our school district had an ESL program. All of the ESL students were bused separately to our school, Blackwood Elementary, to receive language support. There was a lot of challenges with my placement in the school, which I was unaware of at the time. Before being sent to Blackwood Elementary for the ESL program, I needed to be evaluated at my designated elementary school first. When we met with the literacy specialist, She informed us that she was going to evaluate my reading skills. You expressed to her my situation and how I wasn't reading yet. She still wanted to evaluate me and took me to the back for an assessment. She returned back with me shortly after. She can't read, she exclaimed. I remember the expression on your face retelling me the conversation you had with this literacy specialist. You were under the impression that she was taking me to the back to do some pre-reading skills, not a reading test, since she already knew that I lacked literacy skills. You were also upset because a conversation about my inability to read was had in front of me. You didn't want her to say that I couldn't read in my presence. You thought also the fact that I'd been tested and given something that I couldn't do, and you knew I couldn't do, would only further discourage me in my learning. It was decided after this evaluation that I did qualify for ESL services, and I was enrolled at Blackwood Elementary. I would be placed in the first grade, although I was age-appropriate for second grade. You felt that putting me at my grade level would frustrate me. I began attending class with my first grade teacher, Mrs. Barry. 
She was wonderful, and I've seen her and had some conversation with her since then. Her classroom was filled with various items, and the board was covered with classroom routines and charts. It was so different from school back home. I remember her taking my photo with her Polaroid camera for a writing assignment. When she asked me to smile, I gave the biggest, squinty-eyed smile I could produce. She was chuckling so hard, trying to take the picture. There were no beatings in that school or threats of beatings. There were no consequences at all. Well, so I thought. My teacher didn't yell, and if she did, it wasn't at me. I was truly enjoying myself, and I loved being at the school. Now, your experience was slightly different from mine. After I had been in her class for a few weeks, Mrs. Berry gave you a call. She expressed concern about my readiness for first grade. She suggested that I be put back in kindergarten. You asked her why she thought I wasn't ready for first grade. She explained some of my classroom behaviors and how disruptive it was for the rest of the students. She described how I would get up during class and wander while she was teaching or pulling her literacy groups. So you followed up with another inquiry about what she did when I got up and wandered around the classroom. She explained how she would attempt to redirect me, but I would reply with, I don't understand. That's when you understood the game, Mom. I wanted to do my own thing, and I'd been excused from expectations whenever I said I didn't understand. So you let her into your little secret. I did truly understand, and the fact that I stated to her that I did not understand meant that I really did. You've explained that if I didn't understand something, I would hesitate or repeat what was spoken to me. If that were the case, she needed to find another word or model the behavior to me. You dug further and asked Miss Barry what she did when the other students got out of their seats without permission. Mrs. Barry explained how a student's name would go on the board and after a warning, they would lose five minutes of recess. So you directed her to do the very same thing with me. If I got out of my seat, Take five minutes of my recess. Mrs. Barry was hesitant, but she insisted that she have the same expectations and consequences when it came to the rules as she had for the other students. Mom, you said it only took two days and I was seated and on task during class. Then you received a follow-up call from the principal. The principal expressed the same concerns as Mrs. Barry. She wanted to move me from the first grade classroom and put me back in kindergarten. You refused to put me two grades behind, especially in light of what Mrs. Kimley had said. Mrs. Kimley was not just a kindergarten teacher at your preschool. She was also an early childhood professor at the local college. You asked for the kindergarten curriculum and promised the principal that you would work on it with me at home. The principal consented to this agreement, but decided to also put me in kindergarten for part of the day. So I had a split schedule of kindergarten during the first half of the day, and then later I would go to the first grade classroom. My favorite part of the kindergarten class was when the teacher would sit and read to us. I loved every book she read, written by Bill Martin Jr.
It was easy for me to follow, and I loved the drawings. I also received ESL services from Mrs. Hernandez. She was the best mom. She did a great job of including the ESL students in the school activities. For example, we would do a big celebration for Dr. Seuss's birthday. The school would host different reading contests. Prizes would be involved. They'd give us cool lunches like green eggs and ham. It was such a fun time of the year. Mrs. Hernandez made sure to get easy books that we could read so we could participate in these reading contests. I felt so capable and empowered when I would finish each book, especially on my own. Mrs. Hernandez also hosted an international school night for the ESL students. This was a night where we could celebrate all the things that made us students unique. We would get dressed in traditional clothing, bring food from home. We could also perform cultural songs or dances. It was so much fun, and we looked forward to attending each year. Oh, how we loved Mrs. Hernandez. Mrs. Hernandez was the first person to tell me that I could be more than I ever thought I could be. One day during her class, we were discussing what we would be when we grew up. Mrs. Hernandez told me, along with the rest of the class, that I was going to be a writer. Talk about faith in the things unseen. Who tells a child they can be a writer when they're receiving special services for literacy skills? Mrs. Hernandez, she was the right person for the job. And at the end of my first grade year, I technically exited out of the program, but I was kept in for two years of monitoring. So after the two years of monitoring, I was then enrolled into my neighborhood elementary school. Then in fifth grade, I was recommended for the Excel program. I was so excited. I had a few friends in the Excel program, and they would always ask why I wasn't a part of it. I had a whole cheering squad of Excel students waiting for me at the office when I was called down to take my test. I guess I'd made quite an impression on them. The Excel teacher gave me a booklet to take the test. I felt so confident going into the office. I had done evaluations very similar like this at my last school, and I'd be able to answer the questions even before the teacher finished reading them to me. I had learned how to figure out quick ways to problem solve. I would usually be given word problems. I knew that when I was given a word problem, to just listen for the key words. Listen for what operation was occurring, what is being taken away, or what is being added. And then you ignore the rest of the details. It's all just a distraction. I don't know who taught me this, but it stuck with me in elementary school. So I felt pretty confident. I was thinking I was going to be given math problems and word problems that I knew how to do. But this test was a little different. When I opened up the booklet, I didn't recognize anything on the page. The test was composed of three-dimensional shapes. I would have to select what the figure would look like if it was rotated in a certain way, if additional blocks were added, or if the figure was opened up. 
there was no writing task or word problems. So I did my best to guess the best choice. I didn't want to turn in an incomplete test. I really had just gotten a grasp on shapes, but I didn't have a real concept of three-dimensional shapes yet. I also lacked a background in Legos or building blocks that would have helped me to make associations with the task at hand. I remember when it was time for me to get my results and the cluster of Excel students waiting anxiously and eagerly outside of the office. We were all so excited. When the Excel teacher emerged, she shook her head. I had not passed the test. But this is how nice she was. She decided to make me an honorary member. She would include me in some of their special activities. One of them was when she did a mock trial on John Wilkes Booth. She had me be one of the jurors. I was so excited to go over the script, to go over how the mock trials were done. And when it was time for us to conduct the mock trial, I dressed up professionally to look like a juror, ready to play my part. It was such a high moment to be with students who were so excellent and kind and to do things that were way beyond the textbook. I realized from that experience, I had developed a little bit of testing anxiety. I noticed that I would choke on standardized tests. This happened to me in college. I had a history test to take, and I wasn't sure what was on it. So I studied a lot of U.S. history facts, went over states, went over presidents, geography to prepare. When I went to take the test, none of it was what I studied. So I felt paralyzed. I think it took me back to that moment when there was so much pressure on me to pass the Excel test and I didn't recognize anything on the page. I believe if I'd put in effort and I didn't have this anxiety, I probably would have done well. I usually do pretty well in history, and I really enjoy learning history. But I didn't pass. So I decided to take it again. And I didn't even worry about what to study because the questions spanned from early civilization to modernity. It was not specific to United States or time period. The questions were in regard to specific goods and events that brought about social or economic changes. They were very broad. The second time, I passed. Not even so much because I studied different things, just I knew what to expect. So the fear and the anxiety had been removed and the fear of failure was gone. On the contrary, I would do well on tests in class. I pretty much knew what would be on a classroom test. I at least knew what content would be covered. And if I attended classes and paid attention, I could do pretty much any test they put in front of me. At least it didn't cause me any fear because I had some knowledge or some background on what was presented to me, even if the teacher gave a pop quiz. As I got older, my effort in the classroom began to dwindle. Now, this wasn't because I didn't care about my assignments. I was still responsible, made sure to complete my assignments on time, but I didn't put forth as much effort. 
A big part of the reason was I'd become just way too busy. Between my school activities, church activities, my chores at home, time with my friends, and later when I began to work, I couldn't keep up and I struggled to balance my schedule. I would go to bed at the end of the day exhausted. I also cut down on my effort because I realized I did do well in class. If I paid attention, I could still pass a class with A's or B's. Another reason my efforts dwindled, and I would say also another reason why sometimes I choked on big tests, was because I didn't believe that I was actually smart. And I didn't believe I was smart until adulthood. I thought I did well because I worked hard, not because I possessed any amount of intelligence. I didn't know this was a belief that I had until someone would tell me, you're really smart, and I would quickly reject the compliment. I would explain that I knew that information because of this, or I had read it here, or oh, well, I studied this. I never took ownership that I possessed any type of intelligence. If you don't believe something is true of you, well, you'll never become that thing. So if you don't believe you're smart, you'll never become smart. It's not because you are not. It's just that you won't ever walk in who you truly are. That's why it is so important to not just look at people's behaviors or the results of their actions, but to dive into their mentality, inquire what they believe about themselves or about a particular situation. If we dig deep enough, we'll find the lies, the misconceptions behind the outcomes. These lies and misconceptions keep us from achieving all that we were created to do. But even when we have misconceptions, even when we have shortcomings, even when we have barriers and obstacles in our lives, I truly believe that God works all things for good. And he ended up working out everything for me. I didn't become a writer, as we know, as Ms. Hernandez had said. But much like her, I became an ESL teacher. I had no idea just how much an impact she would have on my life. Now, I didn't go into school to become an ESL teacher. My goal was to study history and either add a law degree or become a historian. I ended up adding education rather than law midway through. During my student teaching, I had a large group of Nepali refugees in my history class. They talked and fooled around in the back of the classroom. Sometimes they would throw paper at each other. I corrected them right away and rearranged their seating. I began to modify content and set expectations for them. I also tutored them after school, and that was the most rewarding part of my day. At the end of the semester, my cooperating teacher told me I had to be an ESL teacher. So per his advice, I went back to school to get a master's certification in ESL so I could teach. I taught world history to gen ed students and ELL cohort. It was the perfect blend of my life experience and my passion for history. I realized the students needed to see someone who had been where they were and who had become successful. 
when they would see me, Miss G, this short African woman walking down the hall in yellow, it showed them that their skin color, their language, or their place of origin did not disqualify them from a seat in the room. I found out it was even more significant, the fact that I became a teacher. When I was 26, I found out that my biological mother had also been a teacher. This was shocking news to me. I felt like teaching was truly in my blood. My biological mother had been a teacher, and Jew mom also had been a teacher. I think if I had known that fact about my biological mother, it would have helped me to discover my purpose much earlier in life. The more you know of your past, the better you understand your role and the piece of mosaic you're supposed to leave on the earth. So yes, the little girl who couldn't afford to go to school had become a teacher just like her mother's. The little girl who would be outside of the school window begging for food from the school children was not only in the school, but she had become the teacher. She can't read, exclaimed the literacy coach to you during my assessment. Well, what she said was a fact, but a fact can be changed. A fact is limited to a place and time. She can't read today, but maybe tomorrow that fact may change. So tell her she can. Show her how and watch just how far she can go.